What'll it be, stranger? I am Catwoman. Hear me roar. You're listening to the Hollywood Saloon. Saloon Shots, round 22. Meow. Variety dated January 19th, 2011. Warner Brothers has tapped Anne Hathaway for the Selena Kyle role, the alter ego of super burglar Catwoman, opposite Christian Bale in The Dark Knight Rises. Whether Hathaway's character is a friend, foe, or both to the Cape Crusader isn't yet clear. Warner's played it close to the vest in its announcement Wednesday, using Kyle's name in the release without mentioning Catwoman. The studio also announced that Tom Hardy has been cast as Batman's adversary, Bane. I am thrilled to have the opportunity to work with Anne Hathaway, who will be a fantastic addition to our ensemble as we complete our story, director Christopher Nolan said. So there you go. Here we are back in the casting chair as we talk about superhero movies and Batman in general. Uh, Now, why is this an interesting topic to us? And it's really because here we go again, really. It's, It's a repeat of what we saw. God, no with, kidding. Real deja vu on this one. It really is. And we knew this was coming. I mean, the media websites, the um, the spin on all of the, um, you know, E and, and all this stuff is everything is always about who's going to play this character. And uh, really, we've seen this happening over the last few years as to where a film is announced. And then what do we wait for? Well, we wait for that director. And then after the director's named, what do we wait for? Who's going to play the character? We've seen it to a major extent lately over all the film sites and uh, media news sites. And then you know what comes next? A bunch of podcasts talking about it. I mean, don't you get it? The system has its hooks into you. You're doing exactly what they want. It absolutely does. But I think the thing that's most interesting is the fact of this reaction as you see an announcement like that as it goes across the internet and across the media social circles in general and you see these responses and they're always surprising to me you know i mean we've seen this from the beginning within the world of batman i mean you got to remember way back in the day when they announced okay tim burton's directing batman and we're like what you know, he's had two movies. I mean, how is how, really you're going to put put him in the hands of someone who has a, a track record of a couple of comedies? Um, obviously, I think at the time, though, we didn't we didn't see. We, you know, the people doing this had a little, a, a, somewhat of a stroke of genius because he was going to bring all of his dark sensibilities in it. They wanted to do something different than the television series, but then of course uh, he really stuck his nose out there and um, cast. One of his previous stars, Beetlejuice, in the role of Bruce Wayne slash Batman, and that was Michael Keaton. And you remember, man, the clanging that went on over that one. It was big. It was, I mean, it made news. It it actually helped or hurt or created hype around, I mean, all the above. You could probably say in terms of the awareness and the hype that would be that first Batman film when it would finally come out in 89. And suddenly everybody was quiet about Michael Keaton as Bruce Wayne. But for a while, it created a lot of fodder. I think the problem back then is probably a mirror to today's problem is everybody comes into this with a preconceived notion of what it is or what it should be. So they automatically think, oh, well, Michael Keaton's being cast. That means he's being cast to be funny. That means they're doing a campy TV version on the big screen. Everyone thinks they know the film that... 
Christopher Nolan is going to make, and they just don't. They might speculate on it, and they might get kind of close, but at the end of the day, we don't know. We're just uh, we're, we're, we're filling up space with speculation, and it's really a bunch of nonsense if you think about it. I think you have to go back to something we've talked about before, is that our hope for Hollywood is rather than to get the person who knows how to pitch him the best, is that if Hollywood would just change their perspective, look at films made in the past. Whether or not they made money or not is one thing, but can this person put together a film? And, and we learned our lesson really the hardest way possible with Heath Ledger and Joker. I mean, the Michael Keaton thing was fine. I don't think that was such a, a, a on-fire controversy, but the Heath Ledger was uh, just, man, it really was a huge clamor. You mean people were actually upset? You wouldn't know it today. Isn't that what's so funny is really he put them in their place uh, in a big way. And uh, if anything, that film, uh, well, when we saw the success of the film, but uh, – it said, you know, hold on here a second. Instead of using your own devices based on what you've previously seen of this me- medium, why don't you let this director be a director? I mean, really, in the end, you ha- you're going to do that anyways because it's them making the film. But it's this incessant bitching and griping. You know, it's the Avatar trailer and everyone losing their mind and then Avatar becoming the biggest motion picture in history. Uh, it's we see this time and time again. Obviously, again with Heath Ledger, like you've said, uh, everyone was always bitching about you know, oh well, no one can be the, the no one can be the Joker but uh, Jack Nicholson. Well, everybody thought that Heath Ledger was going to do an imitation of the take that Jack Nicholson chose to take on Joker, which right. was actually a riff on Cesar Romero. If you really want to look at the DNA yeah. and trace it back, the fact was is everybody was wrong. I mean, if they looked at Clockwork Orange, they could find more um, into how he was going to play the Joker than they could to Jack Nicholson's take on the Joker. So, And then when they finally saw the film, it shut everybody up really quick, as good work usually does. The same thing with Bond. Remember all that, that big, oh, Daniel Craig's got blonde hair. <laughs> like people were reaching into their Ian Fleming books and going to page 22 and saying, see, see? Here, he doesn't have blonde hair. <laughs> it's like, come on. Yeah. I, you know, at the end of the day, come on. It's just a movie. This thing is going to open up, what, July something in 2012. We're going to go see it. We're either going to like it or we're not. And life's going to go on. I was pretty shocked when I saw some of the postings on Facebook, um, different blogs, because uh, when it when it was first announced, and we knew that she was in the running for a long while. If you remember, there was a few names that were being thrown around. Yeah, I wasn't aware of even who the um, the call sheet was for. I didn't know what villains or characters were being introduced in this. So right. when they just said a list of actresses, it was just a guess. I guess we were all kind of hoping maybe Catwoman might be dealt with in this universe because she's a great character. Right. And, uh, you know, the way they took on the iconic Joker and did such an interesting brand new sort of spin on it. Um, I have faith in opening the catalog to all of Batman's villains. I was always the thing about Batman over almost any other hero is that gallery of villains. And maybe right. it was the TV show that really pushed it. But even reading about him and their personalities down to, uh, you know, from Penguin and Poison Ivy, even to the Riddler, there's a lot of interesting sort of takes that... Uh, leave a lot of open and room to be explored in this new natural verse that they've created for these films. 
I mean, that was funny when Jim Carrey got cast as the Riddler. Everyone, no one had a problem with it because it was almost a natural that he would play into that same kind of pocket as from the TV show, adding his own Jim Carrey kind of spin to it. You know, it wasn't like a complete departure and something that we didn't expect. Right, right. right. And I don't expect that from the Nolan verse. I do expect it to be something we wouldn't expect. So that's why I have nothing to say on it. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what to expect. It was such a an out loud cry saying no. And what I really was wondering the entire time was, well, what was your expectations? What are some of the names that you thought should have been in the mix? And I, I didn't really see that anywhere. I mean, is it that they want Angelina Jolie to be Catwoman? I mean, how lame and typical would that be? It would just be like, oh, great. Yeah. Um, didn't see that one coming. Again, we don't know the interpretation. We have the TV show. And we have what I thought was a great performance from Michelle Pfeiffer, from sure. her sort of, you know, dopey, klutzy Selena Kyle and her coming into her own empowerment. And then her Catwoman, it was almost three performances that she gave in that movie. And that was a great little take for 1992. We hadn't seen that. It was unfamiliar. That cat suit was as tight as it could possibly be. Oh, yeah. But that became the new stamp for Catwoman. That is what we now thought of. We didn't really even think of the TV show as much in the same way in pop culture. That sort of took it over for a while. And we're now basing that. We're trying to fit Anne Hathaway into that. Right. And that's. I think that's the wrong thing to do. And well, if anything, Nolan doesn't make remakes of a previous series. If anything, he's going to take it, look at the source material, put his spin on it. And if anything, if you look at the previous incarnations of the characters who he's highlighted here, let's say the Joker, let's say Scarecrow, were very different than even in the comic. It's playing it somewhat in the realistic world. And you said it right there, source material. And then right. you've got to ask yourself, okay, which series? Batman's an old character. Catwoman's been around for a long time. She's right. been reinvented a dozen times. You know, that's what's great. The Burton take is one way to do it, like a certain comic book run of Batman in the 60s is very different from the comic book run of Batman in the 70s. Like it would be different in the 80s. And the films, in a strange kind of way, reflect that kind of change. And uh, I would expect the interpretations also to be equally different like they are in the comics. My main statement, and I responded to some folks on Facebook, was, look, you just need to trust in Chris Nolan at this point. He has not let you down. And I, and I wanted to just to kind of push that. I went and looked at some stats from a box office perspective, why you should trust him. This is not even the quality of the film. Uh, but worldwide, Batman Begins is at $372 million. Inception just recently was uh, is $823 million worldwide. I mean, that's massive. What a gift. Yeah. And Dark Knight, a billion. Over a billion. Really, and these are individual films. So, number one, you're guaranteed that his films are popular. Even the ones that are not branded, such as Inception, that is a new film. What about The Prestige? Is that sort of just like the little cousin that's in there somewhere? Yeah, it's a little cousin. It, it made around $100 million, uh, worldwide. Well, that's pretty good. The type of film that it is, I think that's, that's right. really good. Right. And that's, I think, for, like you said, the type of film it was. And it was his film he made in between the Batmans, which we know that is vital to keep uh, a director like Christopher Nolan interested and to not ramey him out. I mean, that's the last thing we want is a director who, you know, has to dedicate a decade of his life to only one property. And we saw how that kind of uh, petered out. 
Um, but beyond that, okay, now let's flip this. Let's go to the critical uh, side of things. And I went and I looked at all of, of Nolan's uh, films, all the way back to the following. And if you take the Rotten Tomatoes, you know, the critic meter, if you will, um, uh, Inception at 86, Dark Knight at 94, uh, Prestige at 75, Batman Begins 84, Insomnia 92, Memento 93, Following 76. So really you've got a high point of The Dark Knight, which is at this point, right, the second biggest film of all time, um, just under Avatar, uh, with 94% uh, fresh rating on Rotten Tomatoes. And then The Prestige at the lowest was 75. And still, this is not a low rating, 75. It's hard to get anyone to agree on anything these days. And to never have a film dip below that 60 fresh rating, if you will. And again, this is just a compilation of critics. You could look at uh, at any other version. You're going to see the basic same idea. Is that, Again, now you're talking financially. You're talking popularity with uh, your box office. You're talking critically across the board. People have shown time and time again that Christopher Nolan has stepped up and proven that people like their films. Uh, whether they're critics or fans, okay? So again, I go back to this. It's going to be quite a while until we're in this film. They haven't shot a foot of it yet, and we're already upset about these casting. And again, you know, we can go way back on this one and just talk about the fact that really, do we even need to know this stuff? It's just not important. But the day they decide, okay, we're going to have a big release and we're going to tell her about it. Now, they probably treat it as part of press. This is all part of the continued promotion. Right now, everyone ought to prepare themselves to not like this movie, okay? <laughs> the type of hype that's going to surround and the cloud that's going to be around this thing when it comes out is going to be out of control. Yeah. And when it doesn't gross the same or better than the opening of Dark Knight or doesn't get the same a level of reviews or for whatever reason – People have now decided they don't like these Batman films, and the backlash is now time to come in. Or maybe Christopher Nolan just now decided to make a bad film. Take your <laughs> pick, because it's all nonsense anyway. As I'm sitting here telling you to trust in Nolan, we also have the Raimi debacle, which showed us that anything's up for grabs. That was not Sam Raimi in control of a movie. Right. That was Sony trying to protect a billion-dollar franchise. That's what Spider-Man 3 was. Sure, but even but even Sony didn't trust in Raimi to let him make the film that he could make. And they had to thrust that upon him and say, look, uh, we need you to shoehorn this character into this film and make it as uh, toyrific as possible. I mean, they had a very specific type of franchise film in mind. Um, the difference, I think, that you had is, you know, again, Warner Brothers having DC as in the family – um, there's going to be more of a protection. And Warner basically said they, – they threw their hands up and said, we don't know what to do with Batman. Right. And they kind of brought the creators in, uh, which would be David Goyer and Christopher Nolan and his brother Jonathan Nolan who have been cranking out the stories and going through and picking out what comics and what storylines and then you know what tone of Batman they want to make. And I think you know, like you said, the success of Batman Begins should have been enough. But after The Dark Knight – that should quiet any studio to want to get out of the way. I mean, just say, look. Uh, and then Inception was the greatest gift of all. It's like, are you kidding me? He basically gave them a Batman-level performing film. Oh, absolutely. See, that's, that's the most ridiculous thing is at this point, this studio has nowhere to speak to Christopher Nolan and his production team. Nowhere, they have nothing to say other than, here's the money. Do what you do. 
Make that magic that you make, sir, because we love it good. And really, isn't that what it's about is that you get that cut. You continue to perform at that level where your money is just piling in. And I'm sorry if the if anyone trusts him, if the studio trusts him, you're telling me that a couple fanboys are supposed to shake that up when they start whining and crying and saying, oh, no, it should have been Angelina Jolie. It should have been, you know, some other slutty looking person. Are we now just bowing to the fanboys? Is that it? I mean, I don't get it. Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. I don't, I don't, I don't get it. They're the ones who are bitching about it, and and again, I understand. I felt this way about Heath Ledger. I really did because I had no experience with Heath Ledger that would tell me that he could take on this iconic role and put such a fresh spin on it. Um, I remember after the movie was. Uh, had been made and reading some of the stuff that Christopher Nolan was writing and saying, are you kidding me? What are you talking about? And Ledger being so interested in the filmmaking process and staying and hanging out on the set and that he was, you know, in process of, of, of trying to make his own film and that he was going to be a director in his own right and such. And, and that Nolan had this respect for him and just thinking, God, this somehow doesn't match up with a Knight's tale. It just doesn't match up with what I've seen in the past. And obviously, we all came to this massive. I mean, what a better way to come into into uh, the realness of things than with a performance that just stuns everybody. Um, of course, his death was devastating to to the thing, and it, it certainly shined a spotlight on this thing. But if anything, it wasn't that everybody who came to see the Dark Knight came to see it because. Of Ledger's death. I mean, yeah, that they may have been an interest on it because of that. There was. But. There's no doubt about it there was. But it wasn't, like you said, the only reason. I mean, it, unfortunately, it was always going to be a part of that film. It was always going to be an asterisk on that film that we'll never know of what the reaction would have been like if it would have just been another day in Heath well, Ledger's life. There's I still a difference. think it would have been enormous. I think the reaction of the film was going to be the same one because his performance was either going to win us over or it wasn't. I mean, well, if we didn't like it, we would react to it. But so. see, the point, the point is, is that you don't make a billion dollars on uh, sympathy cards. You know, you don't make a billion dollars on a bunch of people not liking your film. And if anything, you know, look what you're looking at here. Like I said, the critical response, 94% fresh and rotten tomatoes. The fan community was through the roof on this thing. So, again, back to the point. I can't quite get my hands around this ideology. And it may just be that now we have social networks. Now we have Facebook. Now we have Twitter where people can complain to the world and they can complain to 500 people at a time. Let me guess. There was nothing to beat up George Lucas about this week. So that became the prime target because the internet was invented for beating up George Lucas, right? Of course. <laughs> Has any man taking more punches on the internet than George Lucas? Honestly, I don't, I don't think so. I don't know. He was running pretty close. George W. was running pretty close with him there for a while. But uh. <laughs> there's not a day that goes by that someone doesn't want to bitch about George Lucas. Yep. Ugh. Tired. I mean, even putting in Liam Neeson in the cartoon show. Not enough. We got a bitch. Hey, it was six. The last film, the last film was six years ago, people. Time to move on. <laughs> <laughs> it's all those Kit Fisto fans, man. That's what it is. They built him up as this great Jedi character. I swear he didn't last two seconds in that fight. He got three, four Jedi around him, cut through him like butter. Okay? 
that was hard for a Jedi fan. If you had your chips on Kit Fisto and he was your guy, to see him get cut down like that, oh, could just taint the whole film for you. But, you know, it, it really is, I think, it, it's the culture that we've grown into. It's how we look at films in general, like, you know, songs on iTunes. You know, here's another movie, here's another movie. And it better be exactly what I want. Who is this we? Who is this we you're talking about? It isn't you and I, right? I well, hope. I mean, I have – Is can it tell this you, culture that well, you, you refer to that, you know, runs see, in this I circle? Didn't, I didn't have a problem with Anne Hathaway because I've always pictured Catwoman as kind of a dark-haired, kind of uh, sexy, uh, quiet – individual from comics and such. I don't I didn't have a problem with her. I think these are maybe some people who've seen the Princess Diaries or something have got an issue. Well, she's good in that movie. That's not that shouldn't be their issue. Well I know, but they're thinking light, you know? And I don't know what the comparison is. Is it Michelle Pfeiffer looking like she did in her in her, her outfit that maybe we couldn't get Anne Hathaway into an outfit like that? I guarantee you we can. But I mean really do we want to repeat that? I mean come on. Uh as long as it's not retarded like Halle Berry, I mean, it should be interesting. Really, uh, that's the Catwoman we want to forget. I mean, even more so than the costume, it's and that will be important, there's no doubt. But it's going to be her chemistry with Bale and Bruce Wayne and and how she helps him organize his shit. So I think it's a lot. We weren't in the room. We didn't see the screen test. I we don't know. that guys are looking for the next hot Catwoman that they can spank off to, okay? And the reason why is because we've had it for so long with this Michelle Pfeiffer image. And really, you can't compete against that image. You've got to take it a complete different way. So she may have a very plain outfit on that doesn't in any way relate to what we're used to. You know, are they really going to do some, you know, tight, shiny black unitard thingy like they did before? I mean, maybe. I kind of hope so. But, you know, again, back to the press conference, they said Selena Kyle. They didn't say Catwoman. I mean, what does that mean? Right. Well, that's the character she's playing. She's being hired to play. It's like you're not being hired to play Batman. You're being hired to play Bruce Wayne, who is Batman. Right. That kind of thing. Right. So. But yeah, I mean, the suit is one thing, and the suit will will be another thing. And uh, that's one thing I always love so much about the Burton movie is you had a, a great little mini arc origin story for Pfeiffer's Catwoman. Uh-huh. And, you know, her making her own suit out of that frustration and taking all her stuffed animals and putting them in the garbage disposal, just all of that, which is kind of wacky and bizarre, but it was great. It was, you know, like Frankenstein creating in a way. Right. But um, it worked for that kind of stylized approach. And since Catwoman hadn't really gotten that treatment before, that was brand new for us and it left an imprint. And that became our Catwoman for a while. Um and as much as I like that, I, I, again, the question is, is the Burton films allowed for the supernatural? It allowed for her to be thrown out of a window and for cats to sort of work their magic on her and to her to get her nine lives. Right. Well, if anything, she's a zombie. We, we just blink and move on with it in the Tim Burton verse. Right. We don't even think about it. And it's okay. Just like we don't think about... You know, Jack Napier surviving that vat of acid or whatever <laughs> that he fell into. Yeah. Or the penguin baby being raised by penguins in the in the sewers or whatever. But okay. In the Burton verse, that's allowed. But the question is, is do people think that that's what's going to happen in the Nolan verse? Is that what they're concerned about? That suddenly now this a bunch of cats are going to revive her and she's going to have supernatural powers? I would have to say go back to the original comic sources. 
I don't think that that story has always been used, and I could be wrong, but there are a lot of different ways that you can tackle the Catwoman persona. She can just be a cat burglar that turns vigilante almost by happenstance because she sees an injustice and, you know, works on, on equal sides for herself. And that's a good way to set something up that can be a foil for Batman and whatever other kind of stuff is going on in the city. It doesn't have to have, I think, supernatural qualities to qualify as Catwoman. Well, it can't in the Nolan verse because that was the thing that, that separated it from the Burton verse was the simple fact that we there was no supernatural element here. Everything that Batman has or that his enemies have is is based, you know, in reality and it's not supernatural in any way. We now know where he gets all those fabulous toys. He's either making them himself or he's having Lucius making for him yeah. or he's buying pieces and parts from five different companies and putting stuff together. Yeah, or from military sources. Yeah, exactly. In the smallest ways, I think that has made this new Batman universe so very rich and believable. You know, we'll believe he can do all this other fantastical stuff a la you know, Bond or, or other kind of characters because everything is so rooted in a type of reality. Well, you know, and if you think about it, they even did get away with some supernatural stuff inside Batman Begins with the hallucinations. They weren't supernatural, but but uh, I guess you could call them pharmacological. <laughs> oh, sure. Definitely. But the imagery was supernatural. Well, it was hallucinatory is what it was. So, yeah, it, it straddles that line of yeah. surreal. Yeah, and that's okay because it's still rooted in reality. It's like it took a drug uh, that the Scarecrow shot out that that made that happen. Um, as I think about all this, you know, the individual elements that we talk about here that other people complain about and bitch about, I don't even know that it's that so much. I think it's the society we're in today with the Twitter, with the Facebook, where we can just pop shot our thoughts out. And then it's, you know, it's like fight on, you know, it's like we're going to have this argument. It's it's a way to fill time. I, th I just think that the bitching about it and the complaining about it, I'm not saying stop it. I mean, talk what you say, what you want to say. But the main thing is just I think people forget back to the creators of these series. If you are impassioned about it because you love it, it's because you love it. And maybe you had a different perspective, but I think really the, the com there's nothing that you, anyone can do about it anyway, so you almost have to wait until the film comes out, and then you have to let your bitching be known. I just – I wonder, is there anyone out there who says, oh, Anne Hathaway, I'm not going? Well, and you know what I can say to those people? It's like, you know what? And if you're a Batman fan, you could not be living in a better time because unlike when it was like living in the late 80s before the Tim Burton movie all you really had was the TV show that wasn't really available on video cassette to return to you had the super friends cartoons when you could ever catch episodes here and there but you didn't really have a daily dose of batman right. whereas today you've got some outstanding animated series that have been made in various incarnations from you know batman the animated series to the justice league series to batman beyond um, to the Batman. They've done all kinds of incarnations of the character. And there you have access to all different types of Batman. So if you're not into the Nolan verse, that's cool. There's other Batmans for you to enjoy. So it's not like you have to divorce Batman from your life. Uh, you still got comics. You got, you know, they're still making those new animated films with Batman and Superman teaming up, uh, Public Enemies. So there's a lot of Batman product around. And if you don't like the big live-action movies, well, you know, that's your problem, isn't it? But see, I don't think that's what it is. I, com I agree with you, though. 
But I don't think that the problem here is not liking the Nolan verse. I think it's just bitching and complaining about a casting choice. It's just saying, wow, I don't see her, the big doe-eyed, you know, I mean, she looks like she's got anime eyes almost, those big old kind of sweet eyes that yeah, she What can... they're saying to me, it sounds like I don't see her as Christopher Nolan's version of Catwoman. But what they're really saying is, is I don't see her as previous incarnations of Catwoman that I have thinking the character should be. Exactly. You know, they're completely not seeing right. it from the perspective of the people who are making this film because they can't see it. They don't know what the script is. They don't know what the take is. So it's empty bitching to me. It's the same thing before. It's, it's not knowing. It's the Avatar trailer and everyone losing their mind. You know, it's just like, God, that was that was one of the worst things we ever saw was this, you know, this this buildup of expectation and then the release of the trailer and everyone just moaning and groaning and saying, what did we just see? And then later on, it just all proved completely ridiculous. And then it just spurned shows like Saloon Shots where we just jump on to join in on the bitching, you know? <laughs> no, wait, didn't we? We didn't do that. We had set up to do a saloon shots about the Avatar trailer, and then we bowed I out. I remember. Yeah. I we remember. said, you know what? This is – everyone's doing this. Let's just forget it, you know? And <laughs> But now we're doing it about Catwoman, and everyone's bitching about that too. We're bitching about the bitching, which makes us bitchers. If anything, personally, if you look at this announcement, what I was most surprised about – now, I love Tom Hardy being in this mix. We obviously saw him in Inception. We've seen him in other films. To me <laughs> – <laughs> He'll always be Jean-Luc Picard. Right. I think Inception was as great an audition for any actor. Well, it's kind of made him a star, and we know that he's going to be Mad Max, right? That's what I've heard. Yeah. And, you know, if you have to think of someone, I mean, I like him so far. Let's see. The film to see is called Bronson. That's right. the performance that makes Tom Hardy Tom Hardy that these other people know about before you did. So right. that's... um. I, again, you know, no one knows what he's doing. I mean, this is a guy who works with a lot of the same people over and over again. If you've been thinking about it, right. following and tracing through, um, I can see that's why you always had that fear of Robin Williams. It's like, oh, God, no one's worked with him. He I might know. come in. He's going to be the Riddler. No. Uh, I remember when there was talk about that, and I was like, oh. Even I would not fear that, because, again, that's a perfect example. You took Robin Williams, and automatically you think he's doing Frank Gorshman or, or, or Jim Carrey, or that's his take on the Riddler, because those are your references, and you immediately impose them on something. But his take on the Riddler could be something very quiet. You know, very, very different, very much like his insomnia character, if you look at it that way. It could be a very creepy take on the Riddler that would scare us because he's so damn smart and he's not wild and, and fanciful like the Joker. He's quiet and methodical and never wrong. Now, that could be a Riddler that would be really strange right. and different to us that could live in this verse. And if Robin Williams played it, it would just be because of our over-familiarity with Robin Williams. But I think we could get over that real quick. But he's been real smart. Think about all the characters he's chosen in these films. I mean, from Aaron Eckhart to Heath Ledger and right. Ken Watanabe and, and Liam Neeson. I mean, all the way down. Aaron Eckhart. Say it! <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, what I was going to say about Tom Hardy was I was more surprised that Bane was going to be in this. I had read in November that the character on the table for Hardy was possibly going to be this Dr. Hugo Strange. And I don't know who the hell that is. I didn't know who Razagul was either, but I really enjoyed Razagul. And I think that I was more excited that I was going to get to see a character that I didn't know. 
Now, if I had to see a character that I did know, I like it being Catwoman because, you know, Catwoman's hot and interesting and, and exciting. Um, I'm so thankful that we didn't go Riddler, that we didn't go Penguin, that we didn't go one of the more over-the-top over characters. Well, then you should be very happy because the key thing in his statement was completing this story. Right. This is it. So this was your roundup. This is what you got for this tiny little Nolan bubble. Unless he changes his mind and wants to come back in a couple of years and has another story down right. the line. I mean, we don't know. But I think he's going into this like he wants to finish off this arc right. that he started. Because I always felt like Dark Knight was more less than a sequel but more of a continuation. Oh, absolutely. And, and I'm sure this film will feel the same way. Oh, yeah. They're not sequels. They're not sequels. Like – Traditional sequels. It is. It's just the story is going on, and we get to jump back in on this point. Obviously, we're going to jump back in, and hopefully, you know, the uh, the Batcave is rebuilt at this point. Um, his mansion's rebuilt, and uh, we're going to see a whole new spin than we did in Dark Knight, and that's exactly what we're hoping for. Uh, we don't want to see the same movie again, and he's not going to deliver us the same movie because we trust in him. But I just don't. I didn't know Bane other than what I saw in the ridiculous Batman Robin. When, you know, the juices would pump him up to this big stuff and he was just Poison Ivy's drone. Right. But, you know, you can't count that. <laughs> I have a feeling they're not going to do that. Yeah, I'm thinking. And I don't know the character from the comics either. So I'm at the point where I think we're preaching to everybody else is just saying trust in Nolan. His track record is strong. We have liked what he's done in the past. I've heard some people complain about uh, Katie Holmes being improperly cast, but I don't know that she was improperly cast. We can get into the whole discussion of, you know, beauty when you talk about uh, what's her name from The Dark Knight who replaced Katie Holmes. I personally don't believe that, that he's he's got some miscasting. I think he's, he's pulled it off. You know, and come on, again, this is all this casting and, and, and talking about it directly. And I was, I was looking at a couple of other ideas. Remember your first reaction when you heard that Nicolas Cage was going to be Superman? Yeah, I remember. And we were, it's kind of like a tire being deflated, just like, shh. <laughs> you're just like, oh, really? Yeah. And it was going to take some major trust in Tim Burton to pull that off. It'd be like, wow, you better work some magic, man, because I'm not seeing it. But, you know, you've seen this even recently. I mean, look at the stuff, all this rage about who's going to be Elizabeth Salander. From a girl with a dragon tattoo going into David Fincher's new version. And there was, remember on, on all the sites, the postings. Okay, uh, Natalie Portman, Ellen Page, Carrie Mulligan, Scarlett Johansson. Who's it going to be? They're going to announce. They're going to announce. And that was the hot role for, for young actresses in Hollywood for sure. I mean everybody I'm sure wanted it and was trying out for it or trying to get in on an audition for it. Guaranteed franchise, probably. Well, sure. And, but it was a re it was reported to us daily, almost like a countdown. When's the day? When's the day? Mm -hmm. You know, and then finally it just went to a co-star that he had worked with in Social Network, Rune Amari. Rooney Mara. I always say Rune Amari. It's Rooney Mara. Rooney Mara. Uh, so, but you know what? I got to trust in David Fincher. I'm not going to... I'm not, I'm trusting in David Fincher. Now, I've seen and you have also seen... The Swedish version of Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, mm -hmm. Nomi Rapace, and she was outstanding. And I know that there was even discussion that maybe she would come and reprise her role, which I think she probably would have done fantastically. Mm -hmm. um, I had read something about she had played the role for three years. 
Because beyond just the film, the the part two and three originally, I think, were done for like television. So there was right. like a really much longer version of that. So, I mean, they were just knocking those out one after another. Right. And she was tired of it. And, and yeah, and she's getting all kinds of offers. I mean, she'll be in the new Sherlock Holmes movie. And I think Ridley Scott has pegged her for a film. So, you know, that and, and that's a great position to be in. And she's done the character. She, she did her take on it. And, and I think that was smart on her part. She helped bring this character to life and really gave a vision to her, but and everyone noticed it in the process, and now she's going to have a career because she was launched from there. And and really, that's what's going to happen with Rooney Mara as well, is if this series explodes like, it, like uh, the books did. I mean, my God, there's really no other literary series at this point right now today that is it's got more buzz about it well and i think it follows our saloon rule too is it started as a literary material it was created in book form as a character which means many actors can play that in different versions of the film on down the line like a james bond character sure if this had been created for film as an original screenplay then that's different i think you know, that becomes like Dirty well, Harry and then and you're trying the, to replace and, Dirty Harry. The interesting thing about about uh, Elizabeth Salander is really you've got a James Bond type relationship with her and Blomquist, right? Because it can go past those three books. Mm-hmm. Even though uh, Stig Larson's not around anymore, he's passed away. I mean, that that's episodic, man. I mean, you can go from one to the next to the next. That character could go on. I mean, if you own the character, you can create a new story that's not part of the novel series. Easily. As they figured out with Dexter on that TV show. Exactly. You know, they started out mining the books, and then they went their own direction. Right, right. So um, – now think we got the same thing with Spider-Man, didn't we? All the discussion, Jamie Bell, Anton Yelchin, Aaron Johnson, the guy who was in Kick-Ass, you know, and then eventually he went to Andrew Garfield, which everyone was like, who the fuck is Andrew Garfield? But of course now, now we know Andrew Garfield and, and that really gives excitement to Spider-Man to a certain extent because we, well, at least we know the guy's a great actor. And if anything, remember, that was one of the first things that we had talked about after Social Network was, wow, I, I have a little bit of glimmer of hope. At this point, at least in the performance that we're going to get from Peter Parker. Yeah, I think Peter Parker's in good hands. Now, right. if the screenplay is good and James Vanderbilt wrote a good script, he did write Zodiac, so I'm, I'm going to say he's a competent screenwriter. If he's found a way to tell the Gwen Stacy story in an exciting way, switching out the lizard for Green Goblin, I think it could work as an interesting new Spider-Man movie to launch it in a new direction. Right. I mean, I hope it doesn't have to spend too long on the origin story. I still feel like it could be done in the opening credits or an opening montage very quickly just to get on with it because we all know it so well. But uh, it's a a wait-and-see kind of situation. That's all it can be. But at least I know they hired a good actor. That's all you can say. Right, and that's interesting. Now, I think that was a little less difficult for people to handle because really they didn't necessarily know any of these guys. And I think really – a lot of the fact of the bitching about Anne Hathaway has the, the fact that they know Anne Hathaway. They know her from her comedic performances or from Saturday Night Live. And she's done dramatic performances also, and she's done action 
comedy performances, right? So I don't know. I don't know if she's done action before. Well, Get Smart had some action in it, didn't it? Well, but people just look at that as a farce, you know, as a joke. Well, of course. But... Throw that into the comedy. Well, I think what what she did, Rachel getting married, wasn't she nominated for that? She got a lot of good notices for that. Yeah. So, I mean, I think there's no doubt that she's an actress. And if anything, people should be happy that you're getting a true actress in here. I just think, you know, I really think it's a visual thing more than anything. It's just like, does she look this role? Can she be a sultry, slutty dominatrix? I think really, if anything, it's possible that the Burton version is almost it's it's into it goes into a dominatrix type of an idea, and people saying, well, she's got to be that kind of a dominatrix. In the past, that's not the way that she was seen. Right. It's a take on Catwoman, and I expect this to be another one. And so there's not really an expectation, or there shouldn't be, that it's going to continue in that fashion. It's just another vision of, of Catwoman. And if you remember, I mean, go back to the early comics where she's she's just a cat burglar, you know, and she's got little cat ears on the top of her head and goggles over her eyes. I mean, those goggles don't do anything to make anybody hot. Let me ask you this question. If you rounded up all these people bitching about Anne Hathaway... I'm sure the number's not that big, but let's just say that you round them all up. If you went back in time, could you discover that these are the same people that bitched about the Tumblr when they first saw the picture of it? The Tumblr? (laughs) You know, or anything from Batman Begins. They didn't like the new suit or the new logo or anything. I mean, I'm sure there was always something they didn't like. Well, I think maybe probably with anyone, they have anticipation. They have a desire to be blown away and see something just radically new. And when you don't see that and you see something that looks probably more conventional than you want, there's just a reaction. And I think if anyone, a lot of times people think things through, they go, well, yeah, I see your point. We need to trust. We haven't seen anything yet. How can you make a statement that it sucks? I mean, my God, you want to talk about someone really jumping off the end? Do you remember Anne Rice's reaction to Tom Cruise as the vampire Lestat? And I remember her apology, too, and how she made up for it after she saw the movie. She took out all that big page ad and variety, like two, three, four pages, and wrote a really detailed review of the film, but really praised Cruz and went out of her way to apologize and say how wrong she was. Well, I think everyone had this vested vision of what Lestat was going to be, and I know that that uh, because I I was real into her vampire novels when they were coming out, is that one of the things that she always said was that her Lestat was Roy Batty. Flat out, her vision yeah. of the vampire Lestat. Her Lestat was Rudger Hauer circa 1982. Exactly. I get it. But this was 1994, okay? Yeah. It wasn't the same guy. Yeah. and Well, and that's the problem is that really you can't fit someone into that role. You certainly can't fit Rudger Hauer in there. And I guarantee you that that had something to do with him getting cast in Buffy the Vampire Slayer as the main uh, vampire. <laughs> Somebody heard that and said, hey, he would be the perfect vampire. So he got a few roles based off of Roy Batty, probably. Just not a young vampire like Lestat, that's all. I mean, had she written that book and had it in 1983 or 84, maybe they could have done it. But it just wasn't realistic by 94 when they were doing that movie. Well, and Tom Cruise lobbied really hard to get the role. He pushed for it. He used his star power. And he got it. And he did prove everyone wrong. It was a great day of redemption for Tom Cruise. And I know everyone likes to beat the shit out of Tom Cruise now. But on that one... On that day, he was proven right. And I still think it was a great performance, and it matched up extremely well with the book. And everyone had to kind of step back from Anne Rice saying, no, I'm sorry, Roy Batty is my vampire Lestat. 
and they just had to had to accept it for once. And really, you know, come on. I mean, think about it when you read a book, right? You kind of do you sometimes cast your books in your head and maybe put people in roles? Well, sure. I defy anyone to read the book of The Godfather and not think of the members of the cast. Oh, there's no way. That's already set and done. I mean, if anyone ever pictures anyone other than Brando as Vito Corleone, you just haven't seen the movie, right? <laughs> or, or they might picture young De Niro uh, for the younger scenes, right? <laughs> well, absolutely. And, and if, you, if you don't do that, then you just haven't seen the movie yet. You know, and, and maybe that would be interesting. For I mean, it would be great if we could kind of wipe our minds of that and go back and do that. But, uh, you know, we can't do it. You're always going to use what you previously know as you look forward and try to get into the idea and the, and the thoughts behind uh, these directors casting these roles. You know, what was Christopher Nolan thinking when he put Anne Hathaway from The Princess Diaries in this role that's supposed to be this hardcore, hard-hitting, tight-skinned dominatrix? That has everything to do that statement with what was previously based on other things, on Michelle Pfeiffer or whatever. And really, I think that in the end, let's just say she doesn't look the perfect part of what someone's doing, but performance can jazz that as well. If you have someone like Tom Cruise, who didn't necessarily look the part as the author had written it or intended it, his performance rose above the expectation and destroyed that. I mean, isn't that a, an actor's greatest challenge is to take that role and make it his? Um, like, sure. Like Ledger did with the Joker. Remember, remember the stuff after uh, Ledger died? No one can ever play Joker again. I remember that. And again, I go back to that rule. The Joker is bigger than any one actor. And I think Ledger has done the character a great service and will keep him alive. But there will be another actor. I mean, they said that after Jack Nicholson, but a lot of people prefer Mark Hamill's Joker right. to other interpretations of the Joker. Um, right. His is like now number two behind Ledger. Um, if you got a rank or you do that kind of thing. But anyway, it's well regarded. And so will somebody else's be in 20 years. Someone having even a, a further take on it. And that's the great thing about these characters. And it was the same thing with Bond. It was, what was Craig's interpretation going to be? And it wasn't Brosnan's and it wasn't Roger Moore's. It was his or Timothy Dalton's. And that's what I liked about it. Well, and you know what? I want to I want to twist this a little bit too. Casting isn't bad casting until you see the film, really. We haven't read the script. We don't know what was required of this performance. That's what I'm saying. If you, if you had read this script and came back to me and said, hmm. I don't think Anne Hathaway can play the character as written. Right. That would be one thing. You'd be coming from knowledge. And you would be coming from knowledge of the script and knowledge of all her previous work. What you would not be coming from knowledge of is what she did in the room with that script that right. you didn't see. Right. You're just interpreting. So that's one thing. But everybody's in the dark on this. So again, you know, it just comes back to what we said at the very beginning. We all don't know. And we'll just have to wait well, and that's, see. That's what it really is, is that we don't know. And casting isn't bad casting until you see the film. Now, a year and a half from now, or however long it is, when The Dark Knight Rises comes out, and if we hated Anne Hathaway, well, then we'll, you know, all we can do is say, well, we didn't know at the time, and we were hopeful, and we were trusting in Nolan. And if he blew it, or she blew it, or we just don't like it, well, we have that prerogative to say. It doesn't mean we were wrong today. It just means that they didn't follow through on the casting. Already, maybe we can predict the mixed reviews that are going to come out even before they even shoot it. But really, I mean, you have to, you have to look at it like this. And, and I kind of wrote this down as a, as a funny part. But 
Kate Bosworth, we can confirm that bad casting now, right? For Superman Returns. We heard about it when it came out, and we were like, man, she's kind of fucking young. She's kind of young, isn't she? She's kind of young. Well, then we saw the movie, and what did we say? Yeah, kind of young. Kind of didn't fit the role of someone who's been in the newspaper uh, business as a journalist for uh, a long time and won a Pulitzer and, and, and that kind of thing. We can confirm that Denise Richards was probably not the p- best person for Dr. Christmas Jones, right? We can confirm that bad casting. We can probably confirm that Keanu Reeves wasn't the greatest person to play Jonathan Harker in Dracula, right? Bad casting. You can confirm it afterwards. So today, what are you bitching about, really, is what it is. Now, here's the next thing, and we'll end on this, okay? You know what the next going to be, right? What's the next one that's going to happen that's going to be huge, that they're going to talk about, that they're going to line up the people? One, two, three, four, five. I don't know. Can you guess? No. My brain is, just hurts from thinking about Who's it. Who's going to be the next Superman? Oh. You know? Okay. The film's happening. We've got our director. So who's going to be Superman? That's the next one. Get ready to be beaten down over and over and over about it. Uh, can, we, can we go with another unknown so I don't have to think about it? <laughs> well, see, and that was one great thing that we had about Brandon Ralph. We didn't know shit. He looked like Superman to me. <laughs> exactly. So we didn't know shit, and we had to wait for the, for the performance. And isn't that really what we need to do now? Now, again, who am I to tell everyone what to think? I'm nobody. And I've done this exact same thing before. I did it with Ledger. I'm sure I do it with many people. I didn't, I did not like me no Chris Pine going in, okay, to Star Trek. I was like, Chris Pine? Who's Chris Pine? With his dark ass eyebrows trying to play my Shatner role. Sorry. No, I think he pulled it off. I think it was great casting. I just didn't like the movie, but I thought he was good. I thought he was good. Mm-hmm. So definitely. So there you go. Not bad casting. I think really it's it has to do with the the environment we're in today. It has to do with how the media ramps it up. I mean, really, wasn't it that they made a big announcement? Today's the day, everyone. Here comes your new cat woman there she is your new cat woman and it's like announcement out of the clouds oh new information there she is you know and then Anne hathaway can walk out waving like a beauty contestant hello meow meow hello meow Anne hathaway can you take this whip and do some whips for us <laughs> Anne Hathaway, will you please put on this final jacket? <laughs> Prove to us. There's been a lot of casting news lately um, that you've been hearing about. Because the, the two questions I get asked most are, of course, well, the second one being, what do I think about the Batman casting? Right. But the first being, what do I think of the director casting for the new Bond film? Oh, yeah, you're right. That's another thing, too. Now, that's a game that you and I are hard hitting on. That's the game that you and I, we get dirty on. And I completely uh, admit that, is that when we hear who's going to direct, we're like, oh. (laughs) Well, we love to play producer. We love to be able to say, no, this guy will make the film we'll like the best. Right. You know. (laughs) Right. That's a whole nother shot, really, there. (laughs) So we can beat up on poor, uh, what's his name, for a while. I have nothing to say except for the same thing I've been saying in this show is we'll see 
what the script is like. Right. And I think if the script is good, Sam Mendes is a good enough director to direct a good script. If they bring the Bourne aesthetic that they had in the last film, I'm going to have the same complaints with the new film. But if they if they say, no, let's go back and do it like we used to, old school, and, and hire a really great second unit team, I'm not going to have any issues. I just I hope that, you know, they, they set out to make another Spy Who Loved Me or another Goldfinger, another just... Great Bond film. And that's all there is to say about it. We won't know until well, it comes out. we got such a long wait. Long that's wait. like November 2012. Yeah. It's like I don't even want to think about it in that kind of way. I yeah. mean, it's, two it's, years just, away. it's too far away. Yeah. You know, all I want right now, as far as Bond and Craig are concerned, is I want Daniel Craig and David Fincher to get along really, really well on these Dragon Tattoo movies. Yes. Okay? Oh, and I want God. one day I want I want Craig to look over at Fincher and say, you know, you've done a lot of different type of films. I have to admit, but you've never done a Bond film. Oh, and I man. want that to be like a little pebble in Fincher's shoe. <laughs> and he goes, you know what? I haven't done a Bond film, and I need to see if I can do one. Oh man, we'll have a fucking aneurysm if we hear that news. David Fincher to direct <laughs> next Bond movie. We're gonna be like, ah, I can't take it. It's so awesome. I can't take it. Uh. <laughs> Yeah. And I think with me, with the whole Sam Mendes thing, it's all about this. It's all about fear. Because the fear is if the movie doesn't take, that we're gonna lose we're gonna lose our bond. That we're gonna have to go into some casting and someone's always gotta fucking throw Sam Worthington's name into the bin. How about Sam Worthington? <laughs> How about Sam Worthington? I'm like, fuck you, I don't wanna hear Sam Worthington is my James Bond, okay? He's going to be too busy on Clash of the Avatar movies for years <laughs> to come, so we don't have to worry about that. But in terms of Bond, what you don't have to worry about is this Quantum of Solace was mega successful, right. not just successful. Right. So there's nothing wrong with the Craig brand, except that we didn't like the last movie, but that's irrelevant. There's nothing wrong with the Craig brand with Bond. As long as it makes enough money, even if it's a mediocre movie, as long as it makes enough money to get to the next one so we hope we can get another Casino Royale. Just give us one more Casino Royale, please. And it's, it's just going to open huge. You know it will. Of course will. it will. Of course it will cuz we're all at this point we're we're going to be starving for a James Bond. The only movie. thing we need to fear is 3D. That's it. Oh, well, you might as well count on that. Come on. At this point and today's day, yeah, I don't know what they're going to do. Do we get to go to the gizmo room and maybe some stuff can shoot out at us? Zwee, zwee, zwee. Let's bring in John Cleese. There's some casting for you. Who's going to be Q? <laughs> Simon Pegg. <laughs> Simon Pegg gets all the quirky roles. Scotty, Simon Pegg. Q, Simon Pegg. I don't know, but the casting media frenzy goes on. The media, Hollywood is going to play it to promote their films, and we are going to sit here and incessantly wonder about it, think about it, bitch about it, and wonder, is this, they going to pull it off to give me a film that I can, you know, lose my lunch over? And, uh, you know, it's it's part of this new process. It's part of what it is to be a moviegoer today, a movie fan today, but also be involved in every step of uh, uh, being involved in the media sensation around it, going to these websites, you know, and Twittering and Facebooking. I mean, it's really today, and it has no, it's so different than what we grew up with. You know, we would have just gone to the movie, and it would have been like, oh, wow, I, I didn't know. Well, when we were growing up, it was just other people we knew that were bitching about Michael Keaton or maybe one person in a magazine article or something, you right. know. 
But now you have just a filter for so many, you know, variety of opinions, and everyone has access to ways to express them. So right. I can understand why the it would be so loud and amplified in today's day and age. That makes sense. Yep. Well, but I'm just going to end it with this. Let's trust in the known. And if I'm wrong, then you can beat me up later, but not today. Today, I'm going to say let's trust in the known. You're listening to the Hollywood Saloon.